you know, you think about the greatest competitors, they hit what I call the gas pedal. It's suffocating as a hitter to face Max Scherzer as a hitter. It's suffocating when those guys are landing every pitch they throw wherever they want. And those guys are great competitors. So that's the expectation. Hello and welcome to Ahead of the Curve. I am Jonathan Gellner, and thank you so much for being here. This episode is brought to you by Baseball Cloud. Baseball Cloud's revolutionary software platform brings to life the numbers captured by TrackMan and FlightScope. This provides colleges, players, and facility owners around the world a turnkey product, allowing them to analyze their data using key metrics and custom visualizations on one intuitive user interface. Go to BaseballCloud.com to find out how you can have your own data analytics department for your program. Data has a story to tell, and Baseball Cloud gives it a voice. In today's episode, I interview Dave Therno, Associate Head Coach and Pitching Coach at Stetson University in DeLand, Florida. Coach Therno was named Collegiate Baseball's Pitching Coach of the Year in 2018. Listen to some of these statistics that the Hatters had. The Hatters tied for the NCAA lead and tied the school record with nine shutouts during the year, and the staff posted the lowest team ERA 2.66 of the aluminum bat era. In addition to shutouts, strikeouts, saves, and ERA, the Hatters led the nation in the fewest hits allowed per nine innings at 6.81 and whip at 1.11. Stetson was also third in the nation in Ks per nine at 10.5 and walk to strikeout ratio at 3.31. So on the show, Dave shares the advice that he has found beneficial in recruiting great pitchers, but he also goes into how to train players to be their best what they do to enhance his hardworking team culture, and maybe, more important than anything, how to internally motivate them. Here is Dave Thurno. Coach Thurno, thank you so much for joining us on Ahead of the Curve today. My pleasure. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Well, we've gotten to chat a little bit beforehand, and, and you were telling me about you know how you uh, went into the real world and then got sucked back into the game of baseball like most of us uh, most of us have done and and it's been a very fruitful journey along the way but for our listeners who want to get to know you a little better can you give us a short snapshot of why you decided to get into coaching yeah sure um so like most you know i've I played my whole life and i'm not gonna you know drag that story out a while but i got fortunate enough to play pro ball uh long story short you know when i was coming kind of coming to the end of that that chapter of my life, you know, there was a there's a big business side to that pro baseball thing that just kind of turned me off. And I, I just, whenever I walked away from the game, I just said to myself, "It's time to do something else." So I, I actually moved to Omaha, Nebraska, and got a what I call a real job. Um, and I was working at a college, a trade school, and for for several years, even whenever I was playing. Uh, one of my old teammates, he, he got done playing in 2001 and got into coaching and, and tried to dangle that carrot in front of my face. You know, and I always said no. A lot, you know, in many of those years, I was obviously still playing. And then whenever I uh, kind of walked away from the game for about two, two and a half years, I, like I said, I had a real job, office job, which I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was helping kids on the side and all that. They just kind of maintained that itch a little bit. And he, uh, just to give you a short version of the story, I'll never forget. I was sitting in my office and, you know, kind of 
tired of the nine to five thing and uh, I kid you not, the phone rang in my office and it was him. And, uh, he said, look, I, 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 you know, if you have some interest, I got this opportunity. I really need your help. Mm -hmm. I said, well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll fly there and I'll, you know, I'll check it out. I'll get a feel for it. And, you know, and that's the only way, you know, I, I don't know that I could kind of make that leap of faith, you know, sight unseen. So long story short, the weekend I was supposed to go to the school he was coaching at, he got an interview at Embry-Riddle in Daytona Beach, Florida. So we had to postpone yeah. and he ended up getting offered the job. Embry-Riddle is a, um, they're now D2. They were an NAI kind of power to be honest with you. And so I, I changed my flight, went down there. And I, I just kind of thought about it and said, you know, uh, I'm in a position where if I don't do it now, I, you know, I may never do it to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. So I agreed. Um, and like most, I came down and paid to be there. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I kind of paid to be there for six, eight months and then, you know, just kind of started from scratch and started kind of building the lessons and camps and, much like most people did. And I spent eight years over there and loved it. You know, I kind of, I had some great players, you know, got to work with a lot of really good players and, and good coaches. And, you know, we competed as a program at a high level and I found fun in that. And I really enjoyed it. I wasn't sitting behind a desk. I was on a baseball field, you know? And so that I, it, it kind of, kind of gave the stamp of approval for me. And, and then I was fortunate enough that coach Dunn, who's an ABCA hall of famer who have, was the coach there for 38 years here at Stetson. Mm -hmm. He had an opening over here and he reached out to me and he, he offered me the job that was mine to turn down. And you know, the rest is history. I came over here, which was, you know, obviously a great move for me. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I want to make sure I'm clear as to how fortunate that I am to have it's kind of unusual to go from the NAI level to the D1 level, which we all know. Mm -hmm. Um, so to even get the opportunity, I'm obviously eternally grateful. And he's a great friend today. He's retired and, you know, we fish together and we talk a lot. As a matter of fact, he just called me about 20 minutes ago. So yeah, I've been awesome. over here ever since. Um, and it, it, it really, uh, it was, you know, kind of the perfect storm because, I didn't even have to move, mm -hmm. you know, Stetson, Stetson's 20 minutes west of Daytona beach where, where I was working before. So it was a, it was a no brainer for me, you know, and uh, I'm obviously pretty grateful for coach Dunn sticking his neck out for me there. So well, definitely. That's, that's kind of the story. De definitely love that. And yeah. I, I think that you've obviously, done your job after being named collegiate baseball's pitching coach of the year last year. I think that's, that's a tremendous honor and it shows the, the work ethic that you're putting in every day. And obviously the kids are, are buying into what you're telling them. And so when, when we say that I'm a recruit and, uh, or you get a new recruit on campus or you guys are coming back in August or September, whenever they report, you know, what does day one look like for you guys? And what are you guys all going over? Um, well, well, for me, uh, for me personally, obviously, I have a pitcher meeting uh, from the get-go. Uh, to be, you know, honest, that's the first thing I want to do. Uh, I, I talk about a lot of the things I talk about in that meeting. 
I've talked about with them individually during a recruiting process about our systems, you know, what kind of program we are and what I want to clearly communicate and reiterate in that meeting, what the expectations are of them, what, what my vision is for what I want to do and, you know, give them the kind of the clear idea of what we're, we're going to try to do and what we're going to try to accomplish and what type of program we are and what the expectation is. And, uh, that, that way, if, you know, they deviate from that, I, I know it, they can't say it wasn't communicated to them. Sure. So that's, that's how I try to start it. I know how important that is. You know, we, we, you and I have spoke before a little bit about culture. That's a big piece of that. But, you know, I don't want to hide anything from, them, mm-hmm. you know, and, and, I, and I want them to understand that there's an accountability piece to it. You know, with, uh, you know, if they deviate from that, I, I draw back on that meeting. You remember when we met sure. in the fall and I, did I clearly communicate to you what I expect? You know, they're like, yes, sir. And, you know, you, I, I just think you get more, more out of them. You know, this is a blue collar type place you know, a hard working place. And, uh, and that's how I try to design my program. And, and you know, I, I'm not one to say that we work harder than anyone else or I don't keep score that way. Uh, but it is an expectation um, because we have to do a lot on the development piece, the, the clear cut, no brainers. I'm not, those guys are going to the power five schools for the most part. You know, we sprinkle in our guys every now and then that, that maybe the academic fit here is a little bit better or that happens from time to time. But for the most part, your best combination of polished pitcher and developed stuff, those guys end up at power five or pro baseball comes and takes them. So we, we have to do a lot on the development piece. And I kind of want to, I want to plant that seed at an early stage. And, you know, some of the guys that are returning, it's their second time hearing it, but, is what it is. Second or third time, I you know, I, I don't really care. Sure. To be honest with you. So Sure, sure. So that's what it looks like from from the get go. Oh, I like that a lot and I like that you are uh like you said, you're firmly planning those expectations so they hear that early and, and I'm a firm believer that clear and concise communication can go a long way with, you know, prehabbing and preventing a lot of problems down the road because for the most part, kids want to please us, and and they if they have a clear and, and understanding of what we're asking them to do, I think that there's a there's a much less shot of them you know going against that. And if they are, like you said, they'll they'll say, Coach, yeah, Coach Therno, I I know I messed up, and and I know you talked about that before. Mm-hmm. If they're uh, if they're doing things right, but let's say yeah, that, they go- they they want to be guided and they want to be coached. You know, that's what I've uh, I've found. So absolutely. Absolutely agree. And so let's say that we get going in the fall and you guys have, have played catch for a couple of weeks and, and gone through your meetings and you got them going through classes. You know, once you get going in the fall, you talked a little bit about it earlier about how you guys are trying to develop guys because you're not getting most of the top flight guys. So how are you guys doing that? And what, what does a typical week look like for you? Well, one of the things I try to attack with them early, it's a, it's, it's a must really because, you know, our, our throwing programs, probably a little bit different than most and it's certainly significantly different than what they're used to in high school so uh, i've essentially got to get them used to what we're doing on a weekly basis uh we kind of jump right into that where i i don't want them doing anything else but 
So my point is, is we're not going to spend a lot of mountain time early. We're going to get used to the long toss and the, the other things we do from a throwing program standpoint. Uh, I hope that makes sense. Absolutely. So that, you know, they don't, I'm trying to get them. I always talk to them about conditioning the arm. We don't play catch. I, I don't believe in that. I don't like using that word here or that term here, that sentence here. We're constantly conditioning the arm and, and working with a purpose. So I try to install all that, our long toss techniques, um, our flat ground techniques, our, our intent and what we're trying to do, what we're trying to accomplish. So it's at first, they're overwhelmed probably with information, mm-hmm. but uh, I like jumping in the deep end, you know, and then adjust from there. Uh, you know, we're just trying to get them used to what we do, and that's that's going to be the start. And then we'll start implementing the, the bullpens, inner squads, and things like that So a short period of time after that. Okay, perfect. So whenever you guys are going on and and going over several different things that uh, pitchers are need to work on on a consistent basis, uh, what are some of the most common problems that you see with guys either coming in or that you just have to work on constantly? And it's I know we're we're kind of fitting a lot of guys in in this bucket here of common problems, but what are some different right. common problems that you see with a lot of you know amateur kids? And then you know how do you, how do you go about preventing some of these problems? Well, I mean, it's hard for me or you or insert your college coach mm-hmm. here to to alone fix some of those problems mm-hmm. because, you know, it really starts at their youth levels and things like that. But, you know, what's, what's scary to me and when they come in here is a lot of the kids are on no type of throwing program. Mm-hmm. So let's say a kid is the Tuesday starter. He's going to pitch on Tuesday and just kind of do whatever he wants till the next Tuesday. And I just find that to put kids at risk, you know, because if you think about it, uh, you know, we need you to go throw 90 miles an hour for seven innings. Mm -hmm. And, and by the way, you're not going to pick up a baseball until you have to do that again. It's just, you know, crazy. You know, to me, and I, I feel, and this is just my opinion, that it, it puts them at a, you know, a bigger risk than, than actually picking up the baseball in between and, and throwing and being on some type of program. So when they get here and we kind of start a structure, I think they like that. I really do. But I think that can be overwhelming to them at times. Mm-hmm. And even I tell them all, I, I haven't had a kid come in here and not go through a dead arm phase. But but what we're trying to do is you get to that dead arm phase, you come out of the back end and and the arm is in a better shape for you to perform better and recover faster. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the things we're trying to accomplish. But, you know, these kids, they play so much travel ball and high school baseball and so on and so forth. And people want to talk about just that word quote of games. And, and there's certainly some value to that, but I would ask those people, what are they doing in between, you know, when they're not playing, whether it be position player, pitcher, catcher, whatever, it doesn't matter. You know, if you're trying to go full go on the, whether it be on the mound or, you know, 
roaming shortstop or center field or whatever. And you do that for a few games and then you're not training in between. It's just, I think it puts kids at risk to be honest with you. That's my opinion, of course, but. Sure, sure, and you're and you're in a state that you can literally play year round if you wanted to, and pitch year round if you wanted to. Right. I mean, that's a piece of we're in a fortunate state that we can do that. But you know, there's other places where you can at least train. You know, I I, I was able to train every off season living in Omaha, Nebraska, where it was snowing. You know, you just found an indoor facility, and mm-hmm. you can certainly still, you know, get some things accomplished. You know, from the development phase. You know, whether it's nice out or it's not, you know. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So whenever you're going over video with your guys, and again, it can be incoming freshmen or, or guys that you've had before, what are some things that you are looking for in video mechanics-wise? And let's just say that you're trying to teach me, you know, kind of the basics of what you're looking for in a pitcher, maybe even on the re- recruiting trail, you know, what? So what are we? What should we be looking for, and what are some things that really stand out to you, and and maybe some absolutes? Well, kind of some general things. Obviously, uh, on the recruiting trail, just to talk about that a little bit. I, I'm obviously not alone, and all all of us coaches look to see how the arm works. Mm-hmm. You know, is it is it clean? Is it smooth? Is it easy? We, you know, we have our certain triggers we look for to see how the arm works. You know, we obviously look at you know, size as a benchmark, but, you know, to me, and this will tie the two together. When I film our guys and I kind of slow that down, cause I got to slow it down for me. I can't see it in real time as, as much as I wish I could. I, I look for timing and this will speak to it. And I hope it's not off subject, but I always tell my guys, and even in the recruiting process, turn on a major league game. You're going to see, let's call it nine pitchers in a night when you talk about both sides and that's kind of loose, but let's just use that. You're going to see nine different deliveries mm-hmm. that are theirs and unique to them. That's what they own. And so I, I'm not a cookie cutter. I want, I'm fine with that, but what you're going to find is most of those guys are going to be at certain points of their delivery at certain times. They're going to be, very, very, very similar. So, you know, I obviously look for, you know, the timing and the rhythm of the delivery, because if you want to execute pitches at home plate, you better be on time. You know, you need a repeatable delivery. And then, you know, obviously in the, in the case where you find that, that kid that has exceptional arm strength and he's just kind of out of control, then when they get here, that's what I, first thing I attack is I, I get them on film and I try to not cookie cut them, but say, okay, this is delivery is yours, but here's where your hands need to be. Here's when they need to break. Mm-hmm. And here's where you need to, need to be when your, your foot strikes and, and so on and so forth. That I think that people that are highly successful, you will certainly find similarities in at least, you know, and, and where they're at and they're, their delivery. So those are the things I, you know, I look for, uh, you know, I, on the recruiting trail, I've, you know, we, we get all kinds of variety of guys here, but uh, you know, I, I want guys that can kind of repeat the delivery a little bit. And, and I think it helps them execute pitches at the plate. Cause at the end of the day, I mean, you're only as good as your strike throwing. Mm-hmm. 
anyway, I hope I don't. I hope that answers your question. Sure. No, I, absolutely. And I, I love hearing people's different process of what they're looking for, and then you know, how they're how they're teaching it. And uh, another aspect of of what I really like to hear about is everyone's culture. And I, I know that it's kind of something that it's a buzzword right now, and it's something that everyone is trying to create a good one. And I obviously you guys have have built a good culture uh, so far and you've got some great alumni and Jacob DeGrom and, and Corey Kluber, which I'm sure helps build some of that. But for our listeners, you know, what, what are you guys going about uh, with building your culture on a daily basis? And, and if we showed up to practice tomorrow, what would we see? And uh, <laughs> another funny thing that I ran into, I was like, what in the world is a hatter? And then I started looking into it, and I was like, "Oh, Stetson, like the cowboy hat. Ah, oh, that makes sense." But if you could, if you could tell our listeners who may not be from the South what a hatter is, do you mind going into that a little bit too? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So the history of the university dates back to Henry Deland, who founded Deland, Florida. Obviously, you know, that, I think he can figure that part out, and who sold what was Deland Technical College to the Stetson family who were the founders of the cowboy hat. So, you know, obviously that was, you know, however many years ago. And when the intercollegiate athletics started here, uh, there was, I think, an overwhelming no-brainer to call the mascot the hatters. Um, because after the cowboy hat that the company, so, mm-hmm. that the family is so famous for having founded, and, you know, we got the big goofy mascot, John B. Stetson here, who's <laughs> named after the originator. And uh, you see his big mug all over campus and Twitter. And, you know, that's that's uh, that's how the, the, the name origi- originated. And it is there's nothing fancy about it, to be honest with you. It's, it's a cowboy hat. <laughs> <laughs> that's you know, awesome. That's all that. I got. You know, that's what that's what it is. So, yeah. And then, uh, and, and then I, I said a, like a four part question, but going back to the yeah. original part of it, how are you guys building the culture there every day and, and making it in a way that, or leading, leading in a direction that you want it to go? Well, we, I think this has to start with what you recruit. That's how that's gotta be the foundation. If, if you want to be a, you know, a hardworking, tough group, which is what we're trying to to build here and we've we've had that you've got to bring those type kids in and then those type kids that become your best players have to be your hardest workers and that's the culture we're trying to to build here you know we've been fortunate to have our leaders over the past few years be exactly that and, and conversely you know I'll be honest with you we're not having the best year that I uh, wish we could have and and our team as well and they're good kids it's just we don't have exactly what i just said you know we don't have our our best players being showing up every day and kind of punching the time clock is what i call it you know and 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 getting ready to to go to work but we, that's that's the culture we're trying to build and that, that's what I'm drawn to as much as anything in the recruiting process is, you know, kind of those tough, you know, kids that are you know, blue collar, small town type guys, you know? So that's, that's the direction we're, we're, we're trying to go. 
and I think it's a continual process, but I think to answer your question, the main thing we do is we try to recruit that here because it's, inf- you know, it's infectious, you know, it, it kind of spreads through the team and um, you're not going to nail it a hundred percent, obviously, but if you get a majority of those top guys and you get that guy that's you know really tough and, um, especially for me being a pitching guy, you get, we all know, them. you know, we, we all, all seen them, those really, really tough, mentally tough, physically tough kids. And you get those guys on the mound and they have some ability. You got something special, you know, mm-hmm. and, and that's, that's, that's where we've tried to, tried to go, you know, and you, you're going to sprinkle some, some guys that it's just not their style around, but they always gravitate towards the majority. You know, that's, that's kind of our culture. So that's what we try to build anyway. For sure. I love that. And from hearing you speak, I'm sure that you're wanting to get your guys competitive. You're talking about wanting hard nosed and hard workers, but I love to hear what other coaches are doing for competitions and how they integrate them in practice. And so what are some ways that you guys do that? Well, we, we kind of do it in a fun way. Uh, a couple of different things. One thing I'll say is I try to get these guys to compete individually against themselves in all of our training tools, our conditioning, everything. I want them to compete against themselves as much as creating some sort of race where they race a teammate or anything like that. Um, but because this ultimately, you have to be the boss of you in this game. Now, I, I trust me, I'm, I'm dealing with 18 to 22 year old kids. I, you know, I've got to have my thumb on them a little bit, but I want to try to teach them the self-motivation piece and competing against themselves to be better each day in in all aspects of their game. And that's the fun part, you know, but some things we do, uh, I'm a heavy PFP guy. I find that to be, I, I tell our guys that once the ball comes out of your hand, you need to become a ninth defender. And we have several different techniques that the guys compete against one another. One of the things that, that I do, and it won't be the first time I'm called crazy if, if some one of the listeners or if you think I'm crazy, but one of the things I do to end our PFP is I do line drive practice where I just work on their reactions and I smoke line drives at them, you know, to sim- simulate the ball off the bat, being lined back at them. Um, so I do that. And, well, they get some some shins and some toes and stuff happens, but they do what they call king of the hill. You miss it, you're out, and they you know they just compete in in that way, and it becomes kind of a fun thing. There is no prize. There's 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 bragging rights, and that bragging right thing amongst a a staff or a team or a clubhouse is far more special to them than any type of prize. So anyway, that we do some small things like that, but I do try to paint the picture of how important how important uh, competing is. I think it's the separator. I, I tell them it's the separator. You know, if you want you want to become a special player, you want special things in your life. You want to pitch on TV. You want whatever that may be. You want to be an All American. There's you're you're not the greatest thing that's in the country. There's a ton, there's a ton of you out there. What's going to separate you, you know? And I, I believe that that is the primary separator is, is the, the guy that's got a little something inside of him, you know? And mm-hmm. so those are the things we do. 
Uh, I talk about it a lot. I know how important it is, and and I'm candid with them. We're really a product of what we were as players, you know, and that's how I was as a player. So I think it's a lofty expectation for me not to be that way as a coach, you know. So well, and you're holding them to that higher standard, and I think we can all definitely appreciate that. And you know, another thing that seems to come up in the pitching circles a lot, and well, any circles in in general, is we want to develop our players to be the best of their ability. And we can only do that if we have individual plans for them. We don't just kind of cookie cut everyone, but uh, it's really right. hard. And it's really hard with a pitching staff. And I'm sure you've got some guys who are two-way guys, but uh, what what is your advice on how we can prioritize individual development within the team setting? Yeah, I mean, you gotta you got to work twice as hard. I mean, uh, I was a two-way player in college, so you've, you've got to spend twice the time, but you got to be committed to it and not complain about it, you know, as far as the development phase, you got to spend equal amount of time in the pitching programs and the, the offensive programs. But as far as individuals are concerned, it's kind of not an option. You know, when you're talking about a, a roster of 27 guys, uh, you know, it's 35 in the NCAA, but you're pretty much using 27, 25 to 27 guys. And if you think about a major league roster, I think it's around that 25, 27. All of those guys are contributors and important pieces to the team and to the team's success, but based off of what they bring individually. So you have to try to become the best version of yourself. You know, that's what I try to tell them. And that's what I don't try to make the soft throwing lefty throw 95 and the 95 guy a soft thrower you know I, I try to train them to be the best version of themselves uh-huh. and try you know certainly on the mound I try to teach them the game and and, and develop not just their skill set but their their overall individual talent because if you've got every, you know certainly a vast majority of them developing into being the best player they can be, how good is your team going to be, sure. you know? And then it's my job to, one, stay, out, stay the hell out of the way mm-hmm. um, and not get in the way of them, and two, be smart enough to put them in position to where their skill set and their individual ability gives them the best chance for success, you know? An example is I... I took our Friday night guy a couple of years ago and I put him in, you know, as the closer, which many people thought I was an idiot, but I think I've, I found a niche that worked for him better. He was a good Friday night starter. He was an elite closer and we were pretty good when he was the closer, you know? So, uh, I think you just got to find those things, but the developing the individual talents a must. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's, we can speak about team game all we, all we want, but you know you've got to have a collection of not individuals in the sense of all they care about themselves, but it's a collection of individual talents. And, and so you shoot. I mean, you got to maximize it, make the team the best version of itself it can be. You know. Sure. Absolutely. So whenever you are, uh, let's say we come back from break and you guys are starting and you guys are hitting. Hitting bullpens hard, and so um, another question that that I really like to ask is, what makes a good bullpen setting, and what do those look like for you guys? 
Okay, when you say so, you mean like a session, or do you mean a setting, as, uh, in, as in what? E- either one. I mean, you can go into both of them if you want to, but I just I I want to know what what makes one productive and what helps guys to get better. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, one of the things I like to do uh, is we ex- we have what's called execution aspects to uh, most of our bullpens, okay. where we'll have a, a scripted sequence. And, you know, the goal is, and I'll give you kind of the general umbrella, if, if, if something is sequenced, if there's a 15-pitch sequence and it's executed at, so the guy executes four of them. I'm, I'm making these numbers up, but I'm just trying to paint mm-hmm. the picture. Um, he executes four last week and seven this week and 10 next week and 15 the following week. That's the development piece, you know, and that, so that's the expectation. I'm really high on just pitch execution at the plate, you know, in out and what we're trying to do with all secondary pitches. And and the goal is that they take that to, to the mound. But uh, so when they come back, we're going to hit our, uh, our execution pins right out of shoot. Uh, another to paint the picture uh, as to what would do, what would be a different type pin is we have what I call a conditioning pin where it's less about the execution and more about the time. Okay. Does that make sense? Sure. So we're, what our focus is there is again, developing the arm and the condition of the arm versus over here, having a 15 or 20 pitch script that, we want to make sure our body's in the right position to execute those pitches. And we're going to focus on that in this one versus the, just the volume in the other. So anyway, what makes a good bullpen to me is when a guy can move the ball around the zone and execute at the highest rate possible. He's not going to be perfect. He's not going to be perfect. Um, Or, or again, we wouldn't have him here, (laughs) but you know, you certainly make that a, make that a focus and and it's you know we have you know when you talked about competitive earlier one of the drills i do if you want to call it a drill i have a fun thing i have a goofy little box where i put basically every pitch we have on our staff uh, in there and what i'm trying to the point i'm trying to get across to them is we may we may do a bullpen and end with 15 boxes what that means is they reach into a box and whatever pitch comes out they execute okay. so i'm trying to train them to throw any pitch in any count mm-hmm. uh and they get competitive with that you know because i keep kind of keep i keep track of it i keep stats on it mm-hmm. but to me those are i probably give you more information than you wanted but oh, that's great all aspects of that point to a good bullpen session when you execute pitches at a higher rate so that's what we do i like that a lot and that leads into uh the next question perfectly and that's how do you develop command oh well i wish i had the i wish i had the pixie dust partner (laughs) um but what i think is found that i found that's worked for us is first of all we make it a priority um I get pissed off at these guys when the ball hits the ground when they play catch. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hold them accountable in that time. Okay. You know, I, I think it's something that you just have 
to take pride in and focus on constantly. So and when you're playing catch, again, try to put the ball somewhere. I don't care where. Put it over his head. Just being able to execute that will make it a little bit easier and develop it a little bit better on the mound. And again, every pitch, I tell them, every pitch has a purpose. You you don't just throw fastballs down the middle, okay? Unless that's exactly what you want to do. We always put the catcher in a spot. We always we do that for every pitch that that you know we throw on the side. It mm-hmm. all has intent, or I'll kick them off the mound. No, you you're not just throwing something down the middle you know so and i and i do think there is a the development of the competitor and the command comes along with that i think there is an aspect to that in 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 my opinion that you know you think about the greatest competitors they hit what i call the gas pedal mm-hmm. and they're you, you it's, it's suffocating as a hitter um it's suffocating the face Max Scherzer as a hitter. It's suffocating when those guys are landing every pitch they throw wherever they want. Mm -hmm. Um, And those guys are great competitors. So that's the expectation. I tell them your your days, leave leave your days of just playing catch and the ball hitting the ground all the time back in high school. You know, I don't really, uh, we don't, we're not perfect, but that's certainly what the intent focus is 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 to develop the control of the baseball all the time try to put it wherever we you know we want let me take a few seconds to tell you guys about on base you on base university is an organization that studies how the human body moves in baseball and softball they offer certification seminars that teach coaches trainers and medical professionals how to assess an athlete's physical ability to perform movement patterns that are specific to hitting and pitching. For example, they just put up a blog on their website, onbaseu.com, that discussed why hip internal rotation is important in hitting and how they evaluate it with their OnBaseU screen. If you want to learn more about OnBaseU, I did a podcast with OnBaseU founder, Dr. Greg Rose, episode 78, who talked about this and modeled the screen after golf assessments that he created for TPI. They are hosting pitching and hitting seminars in Newark, Houston, and Chicago over the next few months. And I will be attending the one in Houston, and I hope to see you there. I'm right there with you, and it's it's an everyday battle, but I really think that it's important it's an important one besides besides hitting. I mean, what we have to play catch in every other aspect of the game and there's only one DH per team per game, so you better be able to do. Yeah, no doubt. Else. Yeah, no doubt. So with uh, yeah. with the routines that you were talking about earlier, and that was something that you saw that was something that's really important to you, but you don't necessarily see it with with some different high school kids and and whatnot. But what does a typical week look like in season for? Let's make it easy on you, and let's say a starter. So let's say he he's a Friday night starter. What does the rest of his right. week look like? And I, I know it may be there will be some individuality with that, but if you could give us an outline or a template, what can you kind of walk us through that? Yeah, I'll give you kind of some generalities and I'll bookend it a little bit. Um, So, so Friday, obviously a start day 
Thursday, I have two requirements, and then that's what I call your day to them. Uh, you throw, uh, my requirements are that they do flat ground and they do their flat ground routine and that they do at least do the conditioning thing I have set for them, which isn't much, but there's a conditioning thing the day before. Uh, those two things are my requirements. But as far as what they throw, I want it to be their day. Okay. Whatever. So what you're going to find is each starter is unique in the day before as to how much they throw and what they do, but they're going to come in and they're going to flat ground and they're going to do the conditioning part that's set for them. So then they pitch and then the next day is going to be tougher than any day they face on the week. We, we long toss, um, you know, I, I, and I know how that works. Some people don't believe in that, but it's, it's worked for us and for the kids that I've had in my career and bought completely into it because they feel like their arm develops to where they're the Friday that they pitch is the easiest thing that they do. (laughs) They're going to go out and throw a hundred pitches and be like, coach, I can go another hundred if you want. But what we're doing is on that next day, uh, we're really trying to long toss and get soreness out, um, long conditioning run, a heavy lift. It's really gonna, you know, kick their butt a little bit. And then the next day is the lighter day, which is what I call a ninety-one twenty day. And they're just gonna get the arm going ninety-one twenty. Then they're gonna flat ground, and then the the next day is an off day. Okay, so that's their day off of the week of everything. And then they're going to come in on Tuesday, get the arm loose, and we're going to do sequence bullpen, scripted bullpen that day. And then they're going to long toss on Wednesday, and then Thursday's their day again. Mm-hmm. So that, that's kind of the cycle of how the week works as a starter. you know. And again, depending on, we may change depending on the starter, but that I, I think that'll paint the best picture the more common picture of what a week looks like for for a starter around here perfect perfect i love that and and how does that change for a reliever whenever you know you guys are playing on the weekends and and it's i know it's a little bit tougher yeah. but uh what would you change in that it's significantly different because we play four days a week so a reliever is going to be up four days a week for the most part so that takes away any type of long toss or conditioning, but they have throwing that they have to do whether they pitch or not. Okay. So they're going to have a, they're going to have a throwing program set for before the game throwing that they have to do again, whether they pitch or not. So they're at least pitching up, picking up the baseball, whether they pitch in the game or not. Now let's say a reliever comes in and goes three innings on Friday. He's going to be down on Saturday mm-hmm. and Sunday. We're going to see how, he, you know, I, I'm going to see how he feels. So Saturday is going to be a long toss day. He'll typically throw with the Friday night starter and, and get long toss in and get, because again, long toss, if done right and done with our techniques, it's conditioning them too. So, Anyway, that's that's what the the week's gonna look like as a reliever. And if you're a closer, you know you're pretty much up all the time. Your only long toss day 
is going to be like a Wednesday if where you'll have a lighter day on Thursday before we play the weekend. Perfect. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a little bit tougher as a reliever, but mm-hmm. you know, what can you do? You have to be your best ability is availability as, as the cliche goes. Um, so they got to be available every day. So we can't, we can't tax them as well, but their, their programs, uh, their arm strength is going to be built up through the fall and in the, the spring to where it's kind of more maintenance and, uh, I mean, in the spring before we start playing, so it's going to be a little bit more of a maintenance thing when we when we start the year uh, to make sure they maintain their uh, their conditioning so that they can bounce back, so that they can throw an inning on Friday and an inning on Saturday. And usually, if they go back to back days, they're going to be down on the third day, no matter what. Okay. So anyway, I, yeah, that's I guess that's the best way to describe how the week would look. Sure. Do you have any post throwing favorite post throwing routines? Do you guys do anything the night that they are that they are done? Or I I know that there there are some different theories behind uh, whether or not they should. And so I'm just curious what your take on uh, doing stuff afterwards, like conditioning, sprints, or you know some post throwing, plow ball work, or anything like that. Do you guys do any of that? No, um, I, I, I'm not of that school. Uh, I, I I don't. I think you you've trained yourself to go run the 5k and the 5k as hard as you could mm-hmm. be, be done ice. If you need ice and, and relax, if you need to relax and that's, that's in the springtime. Now what I do to build stamina is in the fall, when we're doing inter squads, these guys are, especially guys that are projected starters are throwing two or three innings because you're not going to give them a significant workload in the fall. So they have a post throwing uh, conditioning routine that they got to do to help build their cardiovascular stamina. You know, hopefully that makes sense Um, because there's really a three prong system that I attack here that I try to, you know, help for development and that's you know the arm conditioning the cardiovascular conditioning and then the strength and conditioning so i, I kind of attack those three things and and you know we do condition pretty hard here mm-hmm. but again it's a 55 game schedule uh, these high school kids are used to 20 something games if if we're tired and fatigued when's that going to be game 55 60 whenever it's the biggest stage of the year and on the line mm-hmm. um so so i tell them we're, we're not gonna be tired then you know so we, we, that's why we kind of do what we do perfect no I, I like that answer and i like like that you went into so much detail about that but i've actually so i'm going to start something new with the show and we're going to go with some lightning uh style questions and again take as much time as you need to answer these but some quick hitters just to uh find out a little bit more about you and, and your coaching uh, resources, career, and things like that. But what's up? So I, I'm on family. I'm on Family Feud right now. Yeah, there you go. This, Perfect. This, this Family Feud lightning round. Yeah, I All wish. Right. I wish. Uh, I wish I was getting paid the what the hosts were getting paid on that show. But that's that's pretty good. <laughs> but uh, all right, I'm I'm ready. Man. All right. So what's the latest thing that you've learned that you're really excited about? Well, um, I told you before earlier in the show. I'm I'm about technology behind mm-hmm. as anybody. So there's a lot of stuff coming into college baseball with the video stuff. And the, and that's kind of my biggest 
classroom is I like to study video and how guys do it. Mm-hmm. You know, we recently got a video system here uh, that that there's so much you can do with it um, from breaking down counts. Uh, there's just so much you can do with it. I don't, I don't need to bore with all that stuff, but it's it's pretty neat. And you know, if if I ever can can figure the dang thing out, I, I, I I'm pretty excited about it. But so I, I think it's a great learning tool, or it's going to be for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, like like I said, I'm not I, I'm a visual learner. I like to watch and and study swings for opponents and mm-hmm. study. Uh, mechanics of our guys and, 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 and break that down. But I will tell you, I'm not an overly mechanical guy. And I tell them that in the recruiting process, I'm more about comfort and feel, but like if something works for a guy, I like to study why. And, 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 and so anyway, I'm excited about that. Sure. I like that uh, a lot. I think it's going to help me. Yeah. Perfect. Perfect. And I, you definitely sound like you're, you've grown lately and I can always appreciate that. So what's something else or what's something that you're, that you guys do in training or practice that your players love? Oh, I mean, I gave, I gave it to you already. Okay. They, they look, they love the King of the Hill. Nice. They yeah. love it. And the, the other thing that, that we do that's become, you know, we've got a couple of fun traditions that have started here that I, I hope my guys maybe get their hands on this podcast at some point and they'll, 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 that they love. I started a tradition when I got into college coaching where I'll explain this a little bit, but you, you and I both know in college stadiums, most of them don't have the bullpen phone or so on and so forth. You got to run guys back and forth to tell guys this, that, and the other. And mm-hmm. So much happens so quick in a baseball game that decisions have to be made. Uh, I got to make decisions of matchups and putting this guy in blah, 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 so on and so forth. So anyway, I let the guys, they draw each other's name out of a hat, almost like a, like a Christmas gag gift thing. And then they get, whoever they draw the hat, they get to determine what their signal is. So <laughs> I, I, I let them have a goofy, I mean, I'm the one that looks like the biggest idiot, but I tell them, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I want them to have fun with it. If I got to stand out and do a dance and, mm. and that lets that guy know that he needs to get up. That's I'm fine with that. So that anyway, they really enjoy that. You know, we started a tradition, that I hope to get back to. I kind of had to take it back from them a little bit for, you know, that part doesn't matter. But anyway, I take it back from them a little bit. But we started a tradition a couple years ago that I call Thursday Night Football, and they absolutely love it. So Thursday before Friday's game is going to be sprint day. Let your legs get active, but you're not running cardio long distance or anything like that because we're we got a game tomorrow. You know, so I I started a tradition where we ran football routes, and I'll tell you what, they run those harder than they run the sprints. <laughs> right. So I'm I'm sitting there going, this is great, but they absolutely love it, and they have fun with it, and they make fun of each other because you know, you know the label on pitches. They're the best athletes in the world. So mm-hmm. watching these these boys try to catch a football is pretty funny sometimes, but anyway, that, you know, it's, it's kind of a, it's a, it's a weird way to get more out of them. <laughs> so nice. they, 
anyway, they enjoy those things, and I I, I want to keep it light and keep it fun, and make sure that they know when the time is to be serious and work. For sure, I, I, that's I, what I we do. That, and that sounds like a ton of fun. So, um, oh, the last one I've got for you is: What is your favorite resource or book, or some different coaches we can reach out to, or just anything that you've looked to and you found and you or you've read or you've watched that has changed your coaching career? I'll tell you what. Um, like I said, I'm a visual learner. This pitching ninja guy, I, I love looking at his stuff. There's so many, and it doesn't seem like a training tool. It seems like something you look at in in, in amazement. But I, I really love watching his videos because you get such a variety of, of picture, arm slots, stuff, and all, all the things. And you watch when he does, he shows all the tunneling stuff. Mm-hmm. And I've studied that stuff and I've tried to implement that into our what we try to do to hitters. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. We try to have things come out of the same spot with similar arm speeds because I think that's what's really tough for hitters. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, so any anyway, I, that I, I really enjoy watching his stuff and like I told you, the video stuff. And what it's done to me is I can't watch a, a game in normal eyes anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, I, <laughs> I'm just sitting there replaying every delivery every swing and you know but but i really think it helps you know i, I kind of file all these things away and try to use them as training tools uh, but i i really try to learn so much from other people i mean mm-hmm. i could sit here like i know everything uh, and i don't know i got i got plenty of learning to do you know so sure. anyway i find that stuff very interesting and I, I really enjoy uh, watching those videos. Sure, Rob is a stud, and I'm so thankful for the work that he puts in because I'm sure that takes just countless hours of the day for him. So to do good that. for the yeah, so good for the game too. It really is, you know. Mm-hmm. So, well, Coach Thurno, I I really appreciate you taking the time to or out of your day, especially during a busy season, to share so much with us, but. If there are any listeners who want to get in touch with you about anything that we talked about today, and and uh, or just anything in general, you know, where could we find you online in case they want to get in touch? Yeah, they can go to uh, gohatters.com. It's our athletic website, and I think everything else will be self-explanatory. You can go to our baseball page and obviously click on coaches, and it has my email and off and uh, office number there. Mm-hmm. You know, should anybody have any questions? I mean, I'm always trying to do my part or what I can do to grow the game. So I, you know, I've got no issues with trying to, you know, shed some light on on something. But like I said, I'm 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 equally responsible for continuing education of myself. You know, mm-hmm. so um, I, I don't sit here and pretend like I know everything. I've just been fortunate enough to be experienced in some areas, you know? Sure. So, sure. All right. Well, I will link that down in the show notes and coach Thurno, uh, is there anything else that you'd like to tell our listeners before you go? You know, I think the think, and I mean this honestly, I'm just trying to make sure I say it the right way. I'm sure many of the listeners are high school coaches, AU coaches, 
And think something we touched on earlier about trying to teach the game and teaching routines. And I just hope that that is a focus, you know, from all of us responsible for that in baseball, because as a college coach, sometimes we get kids that are unprepared when they get here and you got to start at square one with things that they should know already. And there's so many good AU and high school coaches out there. So I know it's out there, um, but I would encourage that to be a focus with these kids whenever they get into that travel ball age, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old on into high school. It's just teaching them, you know, the details of the game, some of the, the basic fundamentals of the game so that they're more prepared when they go to college, you know, and they're not just swingers or throwers. So you know, hopefully, hopefully that continues to improve throughout the country. But I know there's so many good young coaches out there uh, that, that are doing that very thing. Thank you for listening to Ahead of the Curve. You can subscribe on your favorite podcast platform, which can include Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, or YouTube. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please share it on social media to help get the word out. Once again, thank you for joining us.